0: Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography, with me, Jem Fletcher. Today I'm talking with Campbell Addy, entrepreneur, visionary and fearless advocate for change. Campbell is using his voice and his work to reshape visual culture and make it a more inclusive space. In addition to being an accomplished creative, he runs two businesses – Knee Agency, which focuses on unique casting of underrepresented faces, and Knee Journal, a biannual arts and culture publication, which speaks to the issues of empowerment and representation within race. In this episode, we talk about all his creative output, as well as his battle with mental health and how he's managing success at a really early age. Paul Campbell came down with tonsillitis on the morning of our recording, so he sounds a little bit under the weather, but he pushed through and has so many fascinating insights to share. First of all, I wanted to talk about the Knee Journal. Beautiful, amazing Knee Journal. And the ethos behind the Knee Journal is to educate, not irritate. And I was just really curious about where that came from and why you decided to start the magazine.
1: Um, So I started the magazine during my final year at uni as part of my final major project. Um, And it came about just because I wanted to do a printed format of something to do with images um, but during my year out, I travelled a lot and I worked a lot, and I met a lot of people. So my viewpoint around imagery, imagery really changed. So I basically just started to think about the origins of imagery, how imagery changes perceptions and how um, imagery really can create a real, um, how do I say, a real movement. 'Cause obviously like we're taking images six hundred thousand times more than we do words. So then I was thinking, what have I learned over this year? When well, I learned a lot about my history, about my culture, about being as a person. So I wanted to put that into some sort of printed format and it just ended up becoming new journal. And the here to educate and irritate thing was um I always used the analogy of a kid um learning how to tie a shoelace. mm mm-hmm. And I literally had all this information. I was like, oh, we're going to need to tell people this. Like, I was was online having debates and and it was really like, I was really engrossed and involved in a lot of things. And then I just realised I can't be shouting at people to learn things. That's not the right format to go about for people to truly learn. You need to just educate them with facts because because if you shout your feelings at someone no matter how true they are they're not going to really listen if they don't want to so i thought let me just put facts on the plane. facts are facts and then you can't dispute them you can ignore them yes but then you're ignorant basically
0: and it's a lot about community as you said it feels like it was a lot about bringing these people together and bringing these different voices and different people you met together
1: yeah because I, like, travelled to New York for the first time. I met a lot of friends over there, that I was just discovering their trife and their joys, just their life in general, just their blackness. And I was really intrigued, and I was like, I'd love to put in this space all these different types of blackness so then people can see that blackness isn't a monolith, that we're not just one type of person. And then it, it just sort of came about, like, that haphazardly. And it's quite nice having that community because there's a lot of things going on at the time with other publications and other groups that were starting up as well that were happening and it was really funny. It happened simultaneously without us knowing. Yeah. It just sort of happened. It was like, I don't know, the big bang, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was a great moment for independent publishing, for sure. Yeah. Do you remember now what the response was when you first brought out that issue?
1: I got a lot of, of love from overseas. So a lot of love from LA and New York, um, South Africa. Um, it was weird. I didn't, know a lot of people, a lot of people didn't know who I was, but they were interested, which was really, I found it very strange. People put in trust, like people were buying it without seeing it. Yeah. And I was like, "Like, you don't know who I am or what I do, or I don't know who I am or what I do yet. So.
0: I feel like it got a lot of attention on blogs. Yeah,
1: like I got a lot of press. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I'm good at promotion. Well, I studied it, I
0: guess.
1: (laughs) Um, But yeah, I got a lot of lot of love online, and it was it was really invigorating because I was able to like really, you know, like push through with the promotion of it, getting it out there and things. And um, yeah, a lot of people turned up, like it was packed, so it was crazy.
0: So great, so rewarding after all that work, and you. It's thriving now. You're on issue three. You just yes, launched issue just three. launched issue three. And what's the theme for that is family ties. And yes. I'm curious about where that came from. What what inspired that um,
1: issue? So my fr- dear friend Kareem Reed, who's a writer and an artist, I wanted to edit it with him because he's always been a sounding board for many of my ideas. I thought let's do something together. And we were just talking, and we were just looking back at one and two. And I like things that come in threes and I like the whole community sort of feel. And we were just looking back at the origins of the first one. I went back to my notebooks, my scrapbooks, to the ideas. And it was just this sense of community again. And I was thinking, what's... And that came from within me. It wasn't, oh, let's do this idea, let's do that. I had many ideas. Like, people saw the first draft. You'd be so shocked at how contrived it was because where I am now is so different to when I started.
0: Yeah,
1: And then Kareem was just like, no, go back to basics. Go back to basics. Go dig from within. And at the time, I hadn't really had a conversation with my mother about the last five years.
0: Right.
1: And then I was talking about my friends, my family, what does that mean? And we just started going from there. And then we started looking at the sort of abstract versions of family, like artists that have passed down their knowledge to us, things like that. So it was a huge, wide spectrum of what Family Ties means. And I think that also feeds into nee Journal and Journal, nee? because it is a sort of family, even though none of us are related. So yeah. it came full circle.
0: It's the family you made,
1: right?
0: 100%. You're the editor on The Mag. Do you have yes. other people that you work with
1: Yeah, so for this issue, the first two issues was just myself. Right, okay. I did everything. And then this issue, I had Kareem Reed who has edited it, um, alongside myself and Caroline Washington, who designed it, actually, um, this time. So I wanted to just elevate it on a design level. Um, Like, I'm not bad, but I know it's not my forte. Yeah. um, And she did an amazing job. Yeah,
0: the cover is beautiful.
1: Um, And then... There's one of my favorite parts of the magazine, is the content page, no, the contributor page, because when we were designing it in our heads, me and Kareem, we were like, oh, we want it to be like a spider diagram to see how everyone's connected and linked because that's family ties. And she literally within like, I don't know, half an hour, she just created this like this maze type situation. That really, I was like, "Oh my god, you get it!" Like, I didn't even draw you anything, and wow. she just got it. So it was really, really nice. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. And I remember thinking it was really clever. With issue two, you funded that on Kickstarter, yes. and essentially people bought the magazine ahead of time. Yes. Is that something you've done with this one? No.
1: So with this one, um I funded it myself. Right, and then we had one project with Nike, which helped fund it as well, which is an right. issue, the because they wanted to collaborate with a knee with agency, which was really cool. And then I said, and then they wanted to collaborate with me as a whole. So that helped as well. But um, I didn't want to do a Kickstarter this time just because... Um, I wanted the ideas to still grow and progress even up to the last minute. Right. Whereas with Kickstarter I have to be quite final before sure. I put it out that I can't be obviously what's gonna be and then you get it and it's different. Yeah. So I wanted to and it's less stressful. There's less things to keep tabs of and control of.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so yeah.
0: And you can you see a future for New journal, you're gonna keep doing it.
1: Yes, I see it changing though. Right. I don't know what it'll change into because um, it's like my baby, it's like it has to grow and change. And for the last few years, it's been the same format. So hopefully the next one, whenever that will be, because that's what I like about new and I've never said it's so a biannual or this, just, it just comes out when it comes out. Yeah. So whatever it will be, hopefully it will continue to inspire myself and others. Um, but I do want it to change format slightly. Just Just,
0: allow yourself to experiment. Yeah,
1: I feel like it reflects me. I'm not stagnant. I like to change a lot of things about myself physically and mentally and all these things. So why not the magazine as well?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the great thing about it being independent, right? You've got that full flexibility that you can make all the decisions yourself and shapeshift it, how you feel is the most relevant at that time.
1: Yeah, 100%. And
0: at the same time you started Knee Journal, you started Knee Agency. Yes. And that is a casting a model agency, reflecting and celebrating all types of individuality. Yes. But kind of started as a male model agency. Yes,
1: because originally it was just what I was casting. Yeah. The jobs I was getting was people wanted me to cast with male dominant things. I was shooting mainly male dominant things and like life changes, I changed, the way I shot changed, the people I shot changed. So I got more females involved. Um, have had non binary people transgender, so all types of different people. Um now it's it very much is a modeling agency and we do casting as well. And it's really like blossom. That's been like a strange one for me. Like, need I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I've worked in this field before like subconsciously and physically Modern agency never worked for them hardly ever shot for them shot for like two maybe at the time so I didn't even know how the structure of an agency was and it's a lot of reading and a lot of like trial and error and for the first part it was just me and me and so it's always been me and one other person yeah who's been doing it so um, currently it's me and MC Barnes who does it she's like my right hand woman she's, she's great she's like kills it like, she knows my schedule, all the models' schedule, her own schedule. And, like, even today, she's like, oh, don't forget your podcast. So I'm like, how do you remember these things? <laughs> um, so she's amazing. Um, but, yeah, like, it's doing really well because we've started working with people that we – I never thought – like, in my head, I was like, this could be a cute little thing for six months. Right. Or a year. Like, I never thought it would actually go on to make money or do things. Um like we've done things for Gucci, like kind of Benetton, Marley was so, like we worked with Tim Walker, Nick Knight. Like just this incredible. is crazy. Like it is crazy. It's absolutely madness. When I sat down and did like a year review in my head, I was like, "This is the joke." Like it was literally like a fluke. Like abs- now I get when people say it just happened. Yeah, I have like, "No, dude, you planned." It. I literally didn't plan. I just went each month, like month by month. Let's just get this in. and then. Yeah, but I hope for it to change too, like in general. Um, I still want it to be innovative and change its perception and how to cater to diversity in the industry. Yeah. It's great having a modelling agency. I think I can do more than just supply models.
0: It's funny because you did... it I mean, it's a it's a brilliant idea that wasn't in the marketplace before. So, I mean you can you can kind of play it down and say you know you didn't think it was going to be a big thing but it's all i guess with any business idea it's as much about timing and what the marketplace needs and it was both of those things in line and it seems to just go from strength to strength and the roster just gets more and more amazing yeah I and think. yeah the models get more and more um high profile jobs which is awesome but what i was really curious about was do you feel like the industry is starting to change now. Have you seen a change through that business?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like As a photographer, I'm able to work with certain brands to cast it myself, whereas I never thought that would be possible. I thought I'd be told to shoot these certain types of people or even the stories I want to tell have being told on a different level now, with my friends as well. So the industry is changing. But that's where I say the agency should change along with the industry. Sure. Because it is changing for models. Just yes, there's some horrible, horrendous... Lack of diversity in so many places. But I think there's enough people from designers to stylists who are really pushing the game and pushing the forefront of it. (coughs) Sorry. Um, And really telling their own stories. Um, The thing I think that lacks is just the like behind the scenes, like creative agencies and agents themselves. It's just like you're doing a story based on like black hair or women or this, and then it's a group of white, straight men or it's a group of, like, non-black people. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah. it really baffles me. Um, so I think that's the next step, where you just need to diversify the actual team or the actual people creating the content. And then it truly wouldn't be, like, a thing. It wouldn't yeah. be, oh, this diverse cast was shot for this. It'd be like... Well, of course it would be because a team is diverse.
0: Yeah.
1: We're just shooting ourselves in in essence.
0: Breaking down that white gaze. Yeah,
1: just, not just that, the straight male gaze, the male gaze. There's so many pockets to it. It's not just race. It's also size as well. Like, um, it'd be so great for sample size to have two sample sizes. Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't have to show it on the runway. Yeah. But make it a standard so then it's things like, I don't know, you want to pull from a designer and you're like, oh, I can't actually wear this and things like that. And it's not the large size because in reality it's not large if you're sized size 10, 12, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's things like that. It's more than just race. It's like literally just slightly pushing those boundaries of what fashion thinks is the norm and just showing you. Yeah, and in a healthy manner, not in a sh- sh- ram it down their throat type of way. Yeah. I was
0: wondering if you found it quite liberating starting these businesses when you graduated, because one of the things I think graduates really struggle with is suddenly going from the student environment to operating within the industry, especially the fashion industry. I mean, people, are the models are locked down. You can't get access to a lot of clothes, a lot of models. And I thought I was curious how your experience was because you kind of built your own
1: Um, empire to work within. If I'm really honest, I was just really, really scared. Like my first tutorial in the first year uni I asked my tutor about what I'm going to do in my final year because <laughs> I, I always knew it was coming I always yeah. like, had an issue with time I was like <laughs> you know always what's like, next yeah I was like oh fuck like oh my god I'm going to lose time and whatnot. so she was always like just calm down I like, just do it but then I was like no I need to plan something because there's no guarantee I'll be booking jobs there's no guarantee and I was blessed with my photography I was getting paid for it during my final year which was nice but then I was still like, this could stop at any minute. So I always put that money into something that could then become lucrative for me without having to rely on other people. And um, I still do, because obviously you need people to buy it and whatnot. Yeah. But not in a sense where if I was to do a shoot, I have somewhere to place it instead of having to chase and ask for commissions yeah. and send it around. Um, it was liberating at first, because it was like, yeah, I'm doing it, like... It's all me, but then it became really daunting and really a lot of pressure because yeah. I was then boxed into the things I created. Oh, you're the knee journal guy you're the knee agency guy. I'm like, oh, they're just facets of my personality. And then people assume that my photography reflect what that's doing. So it became quite constricting at one point where I was like, I couldn't see myself outside of these margins I've created. But then I just realised I have to decompartmentalise my brain. I'm Cavalady, and I'm also a photographer. I'm also a publisher, I'm also a model agent, and that's fine.
0: I remember when we first met, you told me that um, you had some like crazy issues with commissioners and people saying, oh, you do this, you don't shoot white people, you yeah. don't shoot white women and all of this yeah. stuff. I mean, is that something you still face? I,
1: I think I face it on a subconscious level. Okay. Um, people don't realise they're thinking about me in that manner. Because certain jobs get pitched to me, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. But why aren't other jobs getting pitched around the same realm? Yeah. But then I also realised my career my life is my hands. I can't sit and wait for a commissioner to tell me what I can and can't shoot. So I just started to diversify. Like I said, like when I first met you, I was shooting predominantly menswear. Yeah. Now I'm, like, shooting more women's wear and men's wear. And I was like a dog the other day. So <laughs> it's just, like, I'm really broadening my horizons. Um, but when I first met you, I got, like, emails saying, oh, you don't shoot white people, you don't know how to. And I think at the time, the industry was still a bit backwards, a, a lot more than it is now. Because, yeah. one, I'll never get that. Never will ever tell me that in an email Yeah. today. That would be so horrendous. Yeah. Two, like, just look at my work. Look at other photographers' work. It's not about race. Yeah. It's about the skills and the ideas. So once you actually clock that, then the rest is just relative.
0: Yeah. must have been hard to get over that, though. I remember being pretty moved by that when you shared that with me. Yeah. It, that must have been intense alongside, you know, everything else that you've got going on.
1: Yeah, because it, it gives you doubts in your mind because if I were a white photographer, no one would have said to me, you, you don't know how to shoot black people if I only shot white people. They'd be like, oh, he's a great photographer. Yeah. And it just really made me think this is going to be really, really hard and am I cut out for it? Like, mentally, am I really cut out to be penalised for everything I do or for it to be dissected into such nonsense, like, political moves? Like, oh, it's just, you don't have to shoot black people. It's like, yes, I, I'm a black person and, I yes, I do shoot black people. I also shoot trees. I also shoot like, I shoot cartons if you want me to. Like, I can take a picture. Yeah. It's very simple. But then I just had to tell myself that they're ignorant and there's nothing to do with me. And just try and just focus. Yeah. But it was hard. Like, it did... My mojo left for a bit. because so I was just a bit like, oh, do, do I have to shoot white people now? But then I don't want to objectify white people because... Someone told me I don't shoot them, Does yeah. that make sense. It oh, was, yeah, totally. There's all these things going for a while. Then I was like, oh, forget it. Just shoot what you want to shoot, yeah. and the rest is history.
0: It's, it can be really tough, I think, especially when you're starting out, but at any time in your career when you're battling with these boxes the industry are putting you in, and I think you're exactly right. It's like you just got to break away from it and keep doing what you want to do. And
1: Yeah, because people don't know who you are. They don't know your life and your struggle or your joys and your great highs. They just see what they want to see. And it's things like, Google anyone, anyone in the world who's Googleable. You're not going to know who they really are. So I just hope that, like, I wish I could go back and just tell myself, go, it's cool. People are going to say dumb things about you. Just keep your head in the game and keep your blinders on. And just focus on yourself.
0: That's good advice. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. So, how did you feel juggling these businesses? Because you had three businesses essentially when you graduated. Yeah. You had Knee Journal, Knee Agency, and your own photography. How did you deal with that? Because well, I didn't. I didn't.
1: I <laughs> didn't. I literally had a mental breakdown last year, and then I was hospitalised, um, diagnosed with like, all these different mood disorders. It was like it was. My friend told me, my friend Eva, who's on my courses when I was starting, she was like, "Cam, you're going to burn out." Like you need to like. Read. I was like, no, I can do this, and and it came from a sense of I came. I've always been told I can't do anything. I was always told um, as a kid, um, well, you can't do art, or you're not good enough to go to St Martin's, and i was always like beat them. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I got in, and oh, you're not going to get a first. I got a first. like all these yeah. things. The first to go to uni. So I thought I can do this, but then I didn't think that me saying I can do this sort of washed over my sense of well no it didn't wash over it caused it caused a really disfigured sense of pride because mm-hmm. it wasn't like oh I'm the best I can do this it was like oh no I have to do this on my own then I realised no I can actually get people and they, it's okay to work with other people but then it caused me to go into the hospital and then afterwards I was just like do you know what if I'm going to really do this well I'm going to have to look after myself first before I can do anything else. Um, I handled it okay for the first, say, year. It was okay. Because obviously I had newfound freedom because I graduated. So all the time I was used to be uni, I could spend on that. Yeah. But then I didn't realize the momentum would pick up as quick as it did.
0: Yeah.
1: Because there's the pressure of bringing out the second issue, the pressure of me shooting, and then the pressure of finding new models and then all those things. Because now we're in the real world. It's not a student project, it's the real world. So your deadlines aren't, oh, Monday to Friday. It's like, okay, you're up, at, you're up on um, Hong Kong time, you're up yeah. on LA time, and then I'm on set literally doing emails while shooting someone. So it's all these things. So it was really a sense of, okay, step back, just do what you could do, and the rest you'll learn or you just have to let it go.
0: So you kind of came through that experience and sort of redesigned your life in some ways?
1: Yeah, I had to. Like, I wouldn't have survived. I was like, there's no way I could go back from the hospital, come back and still do what I was doing. I was just like, i, I don't up back in the hospital or worse. So I was just like, I have to slow down and really think about what I want to do, what's good for me. And I think a lot of people in my generation, due to just what we've grown up with, like the internet and social media, and no one posts post their fails their failures, they always post, I'm doing this and this and doing this. And there's always this sense for new and young, new and young. And it's like, everyone thinks their timeline, you'll see someone like who's really successful, they're 24, and you're 23. And, oh my God, I'm nowhere near where they are. Just because you can see their life day to day. So like, I think a lot of fudge needs should just slow down and focus on themselves. Yeah, Because we end up doing things because we think we should do them. As opposed to, if no one was looking, would we do it? So I was just like, would I do all this if I didn't think I had?
0: Set like, a precedent for Yeah,
1: it? I felt like I was letting people down. But at the end of the day, I was letting myself down.
0: Yeah.
1: Everyone else was just like... I'd rather be healthy than dead. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: yeah. It's a really complicated time, I think, now for this generation in that it's fantastic how much the internet opens everything up and sort of has taken away what photographers 20 years ago, 30 years ago had to deal with, which is essentially was earning their way up. Like, you know, there were barriers every single way. And unless a p- particular commissioner or an agency took a shine to you, you weren't going to make it and you weren't going to get any jobs. Whereas now... you as you sort of touched on earlier, there's a lot more scope to design your world, put yourself out there, come up with different avenues where you can show your work, collaborate with people, but that comes at a price. And like you said, that's something I've really noticed. Like when I speak to students, the pressure they feel to suddenly be, you know, signed to a massive agency within six months of graduating. And you're like, well, that's not realistic. You know, it, it does happen now more than it used to, which is, which is awesome. And that's a good thing. But you can't set these impossible standards. You need to get yeah. to know yourself. You need to get to know yourself in a professional context and, and also
1: like just do what you would just do what suits you best. Yeah. You don't want to fool yourself to go into a certain area and, and like really mess up because you're not ready. Yeah. So but now like i like I used to say to Ibrahim from our, like we used to say to each other, We're so blessed that we had four years to mess up. Yeah. And do stuff, no one knew what we were doing, no one cared. And we find it really shocking that, like, second year students are like, oh, you're yeah, well, to be published. I'm like, no, like, spend so at least four years just being under the radar, do whatever you want to do. Because then, when you do, because it's really hard coming into the industry and really, really knowing yourself and sticking to yourself. Because, like, you'll shoot for a certain publication and want to shoot for what they want or how they tell you. And if you've not created that precedent within yourself, it's really easy for someone to move those boundaries. So I'm always like, I could never have been shooting and doing this stuff whilst I was at uni. Too much. I would be like, who am I?
0: (laughs) So let's talk about your photography for a bit because you actually started off training as a stylist, right?
1: I just wanted to do anything. I was just really hungry. The first job I got was working for a design house. You opened up a store in Brick Lane. I lied and said I was someone else. Um... Just because I was too young Black. I was just like yeah yeah I'm 18 <laughs> and I've done this I just like I just want to help yeah um, then I wanted to do design I did a short summer course at CSM um, and I was like yeah this is it for me so then I thought oh, maybe I like fashion and clothes the styling I was at LCF right and there was a guy who studied there who started a magazine and I just was curious so he's like yeah come on board and I worked so hard I was like oh, okay I can do this I can you know, and I, I and, but then I, this is what I stress to people in uni. Well, for me anyway, if I had started shooting at time, I would have been a stylist, not a photographer, because I thought this is what I like about images. But I didn't realize that I liked the creation of the images, not necessarily styling.
0: Yeah.
1: When he got me a job working for Katie England, because they were looking for just helpers and, he couldn't do it, so I did it. But I started seeing it on a different scale because obviously she's huge, yeah, um, so I was like, oh, this is really interesting, okay, cool. And I like the way she researched her projects is really, really interesting, and then from there, I was introduced to Nick Knight because Katie was doing a shoot, um not with Nick, just about punk, and as i was as a research punk and then Nick Knight was doing a project about punk, so I was like, okay, show Studio, this is interesting." Then I was like, ah, oh, images, making. And I was like, okay, maybe it's not styling. So then I went, on, then now moved on to images because I was like, ah. Oh. And when I was on set with Barry Cameron and Jamie Morgan, and I was like, okay, I want to be a photographer because so I liked, like, it's first time really being really close into it, not just on the backside of everything. I was like, yeah, I want to be a photographer after seeing Barry and Jamie's synergy. It was really nice.
0: That's awesome. And and the camera I feel like has really allowed you to explore really complex ideas actually and and emotions as well. You know, thinking about your first exhibition at the KK yes. and, you know, you've explored topics like religion, sexuality and race in a really like meaningful way. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you put yourself into your work.
1: Well, all my ideas come from somewhere deep inside, I'd say. It's always it's always a problem I'm trying to solve within myself. And I just find when I put it into imagery, I'm able to just put it on a page and see it objectively as opposed to in my head. I'm not great with words, so like a diary wouldn't work for me. Um, I don't like hearing my voice, so like doing vlogs wouldn't work. So it's, that's just my medium of my therapy, really. And it's I just think of things that are troubling me or things I've not come to solve. Or things I think that people see in such a mundane way or in such a skew-with way. Like, okay, if I'm going to talk about my sexuality, I'm going to show how my sexuality is. Because I remember growing up and coming to town to being gay. And it was so hard because the way sexuality was portrayed didn't align with who I was. So I'd start to perform my sexuality when that really wasn't who I was. So then as I started doing photography, I was able to really showcase my sexuality which is individual to me and then some people liked it some people didn't but that's just how the world works i guess
0: i found it's funny this has come up in conversation so much recently that there's no when you grow up and there's limited perspectives there is no um there's no one to look up to and you don't identify with anybody who you're seeing on TV or in culture or whatever. So actually you do end up performing these roles. And I yeah. remember when I came out feeling the exact same and I felt like I had to be this one type of lesbian woman. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable. Very. It was like wearing a costume. It just felt ridiculous.
1: And when you have like dysmorphia, because you're just a bit like, who
0: am I? Has there been one project which has been a particular landmark for you that you shot and you thought, okay, this is it. This is This is my vision coming out now. Would
1: have been... One of the first stories I shot with Ibrahim Kamara for New Journal 1 called Ignatius. It was based on Ignatius Sancho, who's one of the first black men in Britain to vote and own a business. And I was just learning a lot. And I was just, I did the set. Like, I did more than just taking the photo. And I remember shooting it. And then I saw the picture and I was like, oh, my God, like, my mind to paper, It worked. Like, whatever was in my head was on that page. I was like, yes, I've got it. And then following up from that, my financial timesheet was sort of the same essence and ethos, but I had grown technically. I had grown in terms of casting. Like, my skill set had just grown. When that hit, I was like, yeah, okay, proud to say that I took these photos because not only have I interwoven history into the works, down to the colours were picked from paintings. Wow. of historical figures I was looking into, the positions, the styling, like everything. You, you can pick the photo apart and I can tell you where I researched it from. What's the dress? I want to take a brief photo. And for me, it was like, OK, do you know what? This is the standard I want my work to be. And then move forward from that. So, yeah, those two sheets.
0: The concept for the Financial Times project was your vision of London, right?
1: Yes, so I got asked to do my London. And I came from outside of Brogdon to London when I was 17, I'm now 25, so that's eight years, I hope it's eight years, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so then I just sat there and had like a weird daydream and I just went through my memory bank of all the people that have affected me, be it good, bad or very good school and I just drew them and some of them, I remember their names, some of them I didn't. And I gave them little characters. And I just was like, okay, we're going to just bring these characters to life. But in a way where each one, I was like, I pinpoint like a woman called Sadie, a really great friend of mine. And she always had this cheeky smile. And I remember her in the rain on a bus 133 through Streatham. And she just put her face to the window. She's just like do weird stuff. And I'm like, it's just so dirty, the windows. But then... <laughs> She really brought me out and taught me what it meant to be gay because she was a lesbian, but she was like, You don't, You can be whoever you want to be. She's like, We are the best type of human because we've already stopped listening to the status quo and all of these things. So, just things like that. And I just sat there and drew and gave each person a character.
0: Because you had a lot of subjects. It was a big project, I, I don't like
1: remember.
0: was 25. Yeah, it was a huge, huge yeah. project.
1: Because they had tried to give us two pages, and I didn't want to do two images. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, my London can't be can't fit into two
0: images. Yeah,
1: images. So I just thought grid format, twenty-five simple portraits.
0: It's funny that it comes back to that idea of community as well. Yeah, like you said, it's everything. You're not hiding anything. It's the good, the bad influences. It's all yeah because life we're, experience. We're
1: all we're all like, accumulation of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't understand why people are so scared. Of, because I'm always like the bad. You need the bad things so you know what's good.
0: Yeah, it's true. If everything's,
1: if everything's good, you don't know what's bad or what's not it just yeah. is. So yeah, I like sharing all sides of what's happened.
0: So following on from that, I mean, mental health has always been something you've been really open and honest about. Whether it's a subject you've explored through the magazine or your own personal experiences, and I w- wondered what motivated you to share that because that does, you know, that does open you up to a lot of vulnerability.
1: I've always sought out others to help me with my own trials and tribulations. And knowing someone's gone through it eases it for me. I'm like, oh, this happened to someone. Cool. Someone I know, cool. All experience. But I just remember I didn't have that for my mental health, like, at all. I I heard stories um, of people. I never really had someone I could see myself in or relate to or... <sighs> That yeah. honest dialogue. No, it just didn't exist. So that's why I just kept pushing it and pushing it. And it took me ages to really talk about my own. And then I had friends who go through the same thing. And we it was some of my closest friends and we never told each other. And that's when I was like, okay, this is a problem. Because how's that my best friend also going through depression, also being hospitalized? And then we only know when it's the worst. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, let's talk about it. Let me just be honest. I'm not perfect. What I say won't be perfect. What happens to you may not be what happens to you, but at least someone out there can go, ah, I also suffered in this way. And they'll get help before it gets really bad.
0: And what was the response sort of online and when you were sharing?
1: Well, when I shared my story on Instagram, I wrote it, like, I wrote it at 2am in the morning. So I was like, okay, not everyone's going to be up. I can post it, go to bed. And then I woke up from messages from people from Vogue, people from ID, like people that I'd worked with that were generally interested in my wellbeing. Like, not just for clout, like they text me, they call me, they email. And then I got messages from people saying, Oh, I've suffered through that as well. Um, I'm going to go seek help. And that, like, really, I cried because I was like, someone's going to get help because of something I've done. So I'm happy. And, you know, like, I've won. Like, no, I didn't get any bad. Well, I didn't see any bad responses, which was really good. Um, and it really allowed me to talk about because my mum didn't even know. Right. So she saw on Instagram, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, don't have to be sorry about, like, it's okay. Um, and now just, I, I was always scared people see me as more fragile. And like, because like how celebrities are seen in the media, or like how people I know have who have mental health, people are like, oh, yeah, she's tick-tick-boom, or she's weak, and I'm like, like, no, she's not. It's actually the opposite. It's like she's always had this, or they've always had this. So, A lot of people have mental health issues, so it's not a tick-tick-boom. It's not a weakness, in a sense. So, um, And I wanted to portray mental health in a positive light because no one would have known through all these things I was doing, I was suffering. So, I'm not out here like shaving my head off or screaming. That's that's another type of mental health issue, but it's a spectrum. So, don't try and wash and paint it with one brush that it's about being crazy. I hate that term. It's not crazy. It's like if you broke your arm in five places, no one calls you an idiot. They go, oh, okay, you need to rest up. But if I'm going through psychosis or I have depression or 63, no, oh my God, you're like, sensitive no i'm just going through something that i'll eventually learn how to handle
0: i think that's when social can be its most powerful when you can have those open conversations and like you said you realize how much you can help people or make people feel good um, because they're struggling with similar things I definitely I think in the sort of past decade when I've been working in photography specifically, you know, I've met a lot of photographers who struggle with mental health issues, a lot of creatives across the board. And I think photography in particular can be quite tough because it's quite an isolated industry. You work a lot on your own. And then when you're in a team, you're the showman, you're the leader. You you know, you're expected to perform this role and bring everybody together, which is a lot of pressure. And then you're back in the studio on your own worrying and did thinking, it did it come something out? It is is like, the phone going to ring? What am I doing? Like Looking at social, thinking, oh, this person's doing this, like you said, yeah. and it can be really, really toxic. So I think, it's, I just think it's really fantastic you're being open about this and Thank um, you. and starting that dialogue with people because a lot of people do look up to you. Do you think this sense of tokenism in front of behind the camera is something we can push past? Are you hopeful that?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because like talent. Will overshadow any tokenism that is trying to be pushed from really non-loving, non-genuine people. Because at the end of the day, people want excellence, regardless of of your fat, short, male, female, gay, trans. They want excellence. Period.
0: What, what do you want people to take away from your work? Um,
1: oh, okay. That I'm an emotional being and I have feelings and. My work, I hope, can convey some feelings and emotion with you and just to take away that I'm just a human being, do what I want to do, and hopefully inspire others to do what they want to do. That's all, really. Like, nothing more, nothing that
0: And I wanted to also ask you, because you you do talk a lot about how your mum has had a massive influence on your yes. life. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, like, my mum, like, as I get older, the more and more I realise, I always say to my friends, like, mum didn't give birth to me. She just split in two. And I was created. I have a weird connection. that's really, really, like, it's too strong at times. Like, we see through each other so easily. But she really just taught me in ways she didn't even realise just how to really have self-worth and to know what you're, who you are is OK. Even though when it came to the homosexual thing, she was really stressed about it. And that's just because of her upbringing. And now I got older. Yeah, certain things weren't OK, a lot of it was fear, because she hadn't seen a, a gay person live a decent life. She hadn't. All she seen was drugs, sex, and tree and sodomy, and all these things. The Bible taught her, and the media taught her, and also she grew up in the era where AIDS crisis. So it's all these things. So I'm just trying to be a living example. Like you brought me up well. Like have faith in how you brought me up.
0: So, one thing I'm asking everybody at the podcast is, what's one bit of advice you'd give someone who's starting out right now, based on what you've learned?
1: Research outside of the realms of a digital screen. That, if that means going to parties, if that means going to discos, if that means going to cooking shows, or just like really live and experience what life has to offer, it will really, really, really change your perception and travel because how diverse your friend your friendship group is you're still confined to that group. It's like, go meet people across the world, go do other things, get yourself out of your comfort zone before you start thinking, oh, I need to shoot this, I need to create this, I need to start this. It's like, mm. but you've not really seen anything yet. And you continue to keep up those experiences.
0: And where can people find you on the internet?
1: At Cavallari on Instagram.
0: And um, your websites?
1: website's like so old <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really updated it since last year but it's still there com, yeah or CLM um, or CLM yeah which is all in my bio on Instagram
0: oh one more thing I wanted to ask you is what was it like being shot by Tim Walker
1: that changed my life 100% because it was great seeing because I've not really shadowed a lot of great photographers or even photographers period so having Tim Walker who's been like I low-key idolised him and he was so calming.
0: Thanks so much, Campbell. Thanks for coming yeah. down. It was great oh, to see you. Oh, thank you.
1: It was here.
0: Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.